You can make your own fit with barrels, so the part that you plunge, and then you add a sharp, a needle of your choosing. So they might be a thicker gauge or a thinner gauge. Uh, they might be longer or shorter, depending on what your preference is. Some people might inject into their hands and you've got these tiny little veins in your hands so they might need a thinner smaller needle um so you can sort of customize it we have the stock standard one mil syringes like your insulin syringes for diabetics some people might use butterflies essentially you have the plunging barrel and then you have this long bit of tubing that's flexible and then you have the needle on the end and it has these two little things that look like a butterfly either side that you hold on to. What a butterfly does is you can inject and instead of having to pull back the plunger or jack back as they say or get a flashback you can just see whether or not you're in a vein because the blood will travel down the tube. If you hit a vein you'll know straight away. And so this is really handy for folks if they're in a difficult position or if they're using their non-dominant hand um, or if they've got challenging veins or let's say you've, I don't know, had a, you know, a, a, a wobbly start to the morning, you're not feeling too well and you might have a shaky hand. It's quite a precise business to figure out where a good vein is, to then inject, to then jack back and hold perfectly still. And if you think about it, you go to inject, then you have to change the position of your hand to jack back with one hand, and then you have to change the position of your hand again to inject, to plunge all of the, the substance into your system. And all those little changes can minutely move the needle in your vein or out of your vein. So all the trouble that somebody goes to can be thrown off course by a slight wobble. And so butterflies are really, really handy because you can use two hands. So there's a lot of confidence that comes with using those sorts of equipment. Obviously sterile injecting water, cotton, swabs, um, to have a sterile injecting environment. What else? They might use spoons, of course. So we've got sterile spoons or just other plastic spoons, tourniquets to, to tie off an arm and to help blood pool. That's about it. Oh, and filters. So we've got stereofilts and we've got wheel filters and that sort of thing, which are really fantastic to keep germs out of your, your shot. It's one of the main draw cards of coming to the injecting room is that you every visit you'll get sterile injecting equipment. It's free and you can dispose of your used equipment here as well so that you're not taking it with you and you're not throwing it into normal rubbish. Hello, I'm Michelle Ransom-Hughes. Welcome back to Nobody Dies Here. This time, we're in the injecting zone, where the MSER's core business is underway. That's helping people to inject in as healthy a way as possible, as well as preventing fatal overdose. So after you're buzzed through from zone one, you enter this long room. And the first thing you notice is how bright and sterile it is. Then you see that not just the floor, but also the walls are covered in lino. And the desks of the booths are stainless steel. It's a lot like an operating theatre. There's a central staff counter where all that injecting equipment is kept. 
and down both sides of the room, the booths, marked with great big numbers and 20 plastic chairs. Off to one side, there's a small medical monitoring room. And as soon as someone exits down the opposite end of the room, staff will swoop in to sterilise their vacated seat and booth and get rid of all traces of blood in readiness for the next person. This cleaning is constant, as is the glare of the artificial lighting in here. I think we're probably one of the most clinical injecting rooms in the world, I've heard. I haven't seen any others yet. Me personally, I'm not a fan of bright lights and some clients do like it, some don't. I mean, you're always going to get that mix. Some love it, easier to see. With sunglasses? Yeah, well, that's a good call. I've never thought about offering people to put sunglasses on. We do have other glasses, you know, the magnifying glasses for people that forget their glasses or don't have prescription. We offer them when they're having trouble to see. What else do we offer? We have little um, portable mirrors for people that sometimes need those to use their necks. Yeah, everyone who comes in has their own way of doing things. Someone's preferred injection site might be in a limb, say in the crook of their elbow. Someone else's most viable vein might be in the neck or their groin. And this is a public space. So for groin injectors, staff will offer a hospital gown or put up a screen. It does have a few gaps in it and we can see around it. So we just sort of explain to the client that we do need to still check on you. And so far the feedback from clients is that they really love it. One of our jobs in Zone 2 is to help people find veins and we call it vein finding and we have a little device which is fantastic um, to shine on people's arms or any part of their body you know, that they want to have a look at. Well everyone's got very different veins so some people have difficult veins to access anyway whether they you know they may never have injected drugs if you, you can have deep veins or really thin veins some medications like cortisone can make your veins very fragile I mean the vein finder is a big tool of my trade my day-to-day I love that work usually scoot across the room on the stool because they're wheelie stools <laughs> um, check in with the person and check in where they would like to focus the infrared light on. And basically it shows up all the pathways of veins in the field of light. It's a little map. It shows a shadow, a long shadow where each of the veins is. It also shows up scars, tattoos, freckles. So it's not sufficient just to rely on the light. You need to know a little bit about, you know, how the light works and about bodies. um, And you need to definitely check whether it's a scar, whether it's a vein, whether it's got a pulse, so it's an artery. So we will have a look through the vein finder and find some options. They will pick one that they think is the best one. And then I'll sit there and either be quiet while they focus or words of advice and support, like, you can do it, you've got this, if they're feeling anxious. Most of the time... Clients know what they're up to and they just need the light to show them the way. So you just sit and hold the light and be there. And then you clean it off and pop it back and that's that. It's easy, but it's it's just so um, nice to be able to connect to clients in that way, in that, in that little bubble. It's not the heroin alone that harms veins. It's things like poor injecting hygiene or contaminated substances that can lead to dangerous vascular conditions. There seems to be a, a, a culture that is particularly a Melbourne culture because it's not so um, popular in Sydney that um, clients feel that they get a better and more sustained high if they're mixing unison with heroin. 
Unisom is a gel cap and it needs to be heated to be mixed in. Actually, it doesn't need to be heated, but a lot of the clients do heat it because it makes it easier to mix with the heroin. And it's the heating that does the damage because um, they then get gel particulate into the heroin and it, it, that's what isn't good for the veins. Over time, it just really ruins them. So they block off. Our, our body is amazing the way it adapts around things. So if a vein collapses, um, your body just uses other veins to get the blood around. And sometimes a vein will collapse for a while and come back. Other times it will never come back if it's been used, um, overused. Someone's like medical brain might kick in and be like, oh, you know, maybe don't inject there because it looks like you're going to get an infection. No, nah, it's more so about, look, if you're going to go there, let's try to do it safely and even if it you know even if you do get an infection and you've decided you want to go in there we'll kind of deal with that later in every zone of the MSER, the staff mix is the same. Clinical nurses work alongside harm reduction practitioners. And here in injecting, there will always be at least three staff in the room. And they all have to walk that fine line of providing supervision and advice, while also respecting people's agency and their privacy. We talk to each other through the zones via phone. So there's going to be one person on the phone and computer. There's going to be another person behind the desk handing out the sterile equipment. And then you've got staff somewhat floating around in, in that zone. Yeah, you're sort of standing a lot of the time and you're, just, and you're moving and you're helping people. You're helping them find their veins. You know, you're cleaning booths. You're um, checking on clients. Um, you're talking to other staff about what's going on. So I don't sort of sit much. I sort of move a fair bit. And we position ourselves in the room so that we can sort of see booths, all the booths, all the time. We have screens set up so if anything's sort of around the corner, we can see it on a screen so that we've got eyes on everybody all the time. So a client might be happy for me to come through and sit down with them in their booth to possibly look for veins or look at a wound or, or you know, provide some kind of like harm reduction education rather that where other people would like stay away from my booth I know exactly what I'm doing I feel uncomfortable when you're even three meters near me type of thing and you're going to take that on board because if the client does come back you don't want to be triggering stuff this is supposed to be a safe spot not just for injecting but you know vibe wise as well I sometimes imagine myself being a client sitting at a booth and having eyes watch over me I'd be so uncomfortable and so a lot of it is like not just doing the job but understanding maybe the kind of the vibe you're giving off to the other person yeah we've got to be super sensitive to that sort of stuff I've been told off a few times for being too overbearing or hey you're making me feel a bit uncomfortable can you swap with another staff or keep moving and not just sit there or watch and stuff like that so it's just such a different health service to anything else When we count an overdose here, we're counting people who are not maintaining healthy levels of oxygen in their blood. It's common for people when they use heroin here to kind of fall asleep and in the process of falling asleep they, they kind of might have a period when they haven't taken any breaths. You know, when tapping somebody on the shoulder and encouraging them to breathe 
doesn't result in people's oxygen saturation coming up to what it normally would be, as in normally would be above 95%, we consider that an overdose. That's a mild overdose in some sense, but that's their oxygen levels are less than, than, than they would normally be. So, you know, overdose consists of anything from kind of mild hypoxia through to people who are not breathing at all and to the point that within, you know, five, ten minutes they would have irreversible brain damage. When we, you know, break down those overdoses, there's about 10 to 15% of those overdoses that are really in the, in the very severe category where people are not breathing at all and in, in all likelihood if we didn't intervene with them, there would be significant consequences. Sitting with somebody as they inject, it's quite an intimate space. It's a very trusting space. Um, and a lot of stories that I've heard over the years is that uh, it takes quite a lot of trust for our clients to allow somebody to sit with them as they're in that moment because it is quite vulnerable. It is Intimate is a strange word because it's a professional environment, but it is a space of... Um, a space of softness for a person to allow a stranger to, to witness... The relief somebody gets when they have their shot or have their medicine or have their what they need is palpable. And you can hear, you hear a sigh of relief. You hear, ah, like, everything's going to be okay. I can cope with whatever's next. I'm going to seize the day. There's a little grey area and we try not to overstep it because a lot of people are, um, you know, just wanting to enjoy their high and if we're bugging them all the time, then it's annoying to them and they, it's not what the outcome they're after. So it's a fine line of trauma-informed sort of approach that we do and that's why we sort of just say their name quietly. We often check with other staff members first. Have you already checked on that client over there before we all go and do it so that we're not repeatedly doing it? So you can't tell these days with the earbuds in and you'll tap someone on the shoulder and you think, oh, they're not responding, but then you look closer and it's like, oh, they've actually just zoned right out with their earbuds in. And, and the majority of clients will just go, yep, I'm fine, thanks very much. Yeah, some will come in and say, can you, I'm, I'm, can you keep a close eye on me because I'm, I'm concerned I haven't used in a while or there's other things going on in their lives and they're going to be using a bit more today. And so I've had lots of clients say that to me, keep an eye on me, please.
Crazy sort of, it's a, it's a cra- it can be really quiet or, or really chaotic. Friday nights can be really hectic, but I love that. I love the, the, the chaos, so to speak. I, I work well in that, I think. It's just part of me. I was there one day, we got 428, if I'm right, something like that. That was a Thursday or a Friday night. It was great. You know, it was, we worked very hard, but, you know, that's what we're here for, to get those numbers through. Sometimes in Zone 2, it can feel like surfing a wave. So many personalities in the space, so many bodies. There's often, including staff, maybe 25 people in that room. And some folks might be overdosing. Some folks might be having a conversation from one end of the room to the other, so yelling across the room. Someone might be, like, singing, having a dance and doing some karaoke. Someone might be, like, on the phone, you know. So there's often a lot of energy if I see someone, sort of their eyes are closed and they're sitting back, they might be a little bit relaxed or so. We just sort of stand back and monitor them for a good 15 seconds and see how many breaths they take in that time. Then we times that by four, then we know how many respirates they're having in the in the minute. And then, you know, if, if that's not looking too well, what we've got these... Um, when you go in an ambulance or something, you have a... It's called a SATS machine and it measures oxygen and heart um, pulse. So when they're looking drowsy, that's sort of one of them. We'll go and speak to them first. Touch them on the shoulder. Hey, you doing all right there? You know, that type of thing. Gentle, gentle approach. Um, And so some clients can just sort of just require some prompting from us to have some big breaths. Hey, Joe, can you sit up for me? Can you take a big breath? In through the nose, out through the mouth, and I'll, you know, we'll go with them. Yes, that's great. And try and bring those oxygen levels up. Hey Joe, can, can you sit up for me? Can you take a big breath? We do see a lot of overdoses, mostly on opioids or heroin, and so a person will stop breathing, turn blue, grey, whatever the colour. Every second gets stretched out or it feels like it speeds up. Time turns wild when there's an overdose, but um, 
We have more time than we feel that we do. All these different staff members have their own assigned tasks and they come towards the person at the booth who is overdosing. One person will attend to the person, the client, make sure their airway's not closing up or anything like that. And then a second staff member will go and grab our naloxone kit, which reverses the effects of opioids on the body. A third person will grab some oxygen. If need be, we'll, we'll pop some oxygen on, um, usually with a Hudson mask. Um, 75, 73, is it on? And if we're doing the bag valve masking, we just rest their head on our stomach and it's a two-person procedure. So they're sitting in a chair and they may have slumped forward and we sort of sit them up a little bit and hold their head and hold their airway open a bit from behind them as we're standing up and sort of lean their head on our stomach and then you get other people are helping you at this stage. And possibly, depending on how severe the overdose is, someone might bring something called the crash mat. A big squishy like gym mat. We pop it behind their chair and we can tip them back from their chair safely onto the crash mat um, as a way of providing further intervention if they're really not responding to anything in the chair. So we can take them into a monitoring room and drag them into there on the mat and being flat on the ground, it's a little easier to manipulate um, oxygen therapy and all sorts of stuff. We have very good outcomes, and so we, we go into it with positive that we'll get the, you know, that the clients will be fine. And you know, in a in the perfect scenario, there are no other incidents going on, and all staff members can just concentrate on this one person overdosing. But sometimes there are multiple overdoses. Um, you know, often we get people that have just um, left prison. And they'll, they'll, thankfully, they come to the injecting room and they might use a hell of a lot and they'll drop and they'll be blue within 30 seconds and there's no heart rate and we've got to get them off that chair and onto the crash mat and we put a bag valve and we breathe for them for five minutes. If they don't start breathing, then we give them the loxone. We want that stuff to happen here, not out on the streets or in an alleyway where no one can see, yeah? I mean, naloxone's a wonderful drug. It, it's, it reverses the effects of heroin, so we, we know we can use it and we know that it works. Mm, so that's, that's what I always have in the back of my mind. It's, and that's, that, that's the objective of what we're all there to do, is to keep them safe and to, and to respond to their overdoses. Took me a good three months, I think, to, to get used to seeing that and not panic. Oh my God, this person's going to die. It's like no one has ever died in any injecting room in the world ever. So, you know, that's wonderful. Sometimes they'll come to um, and be quite drowsy. Sometimes they come to rapidly and just sort of might sit upright and be like, whoa, 
what happened or like what are you doing get off <laughs> um and then we explain what's happening and then they're usually super chill to engage like it's it can be quite confusing and disorienting i think to have an overdose I'll just, you know, first of all, I'll check in. How are you feeling now? Do you know that we've given you a little bit of naloxone? And sometimes people are quite not happy about that. But we explain why. It's like, you know, you weren't breathing at all for yourself. You actually went quite blue. We were really worried about you. We gave you oxygen. We had to breathe for you. It wasn't working. So that that's our next step. It's always our last step. Um, and we give it in quite small increments. Um, and we'll explain that, you know, we've, we had to do that to keep you alive. Um, Thank you, thank you for coming here because, you know, you're still with us. Yeah, yeah, we do get people that get quite upset, emotional, um, and then at that stage they they're, they're thank you, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, we, we always encourage everyone to stick around for quite a while, as long as we can get them to stick around in Zone 3. Um, just, you know, to, you know, let that naloxone wear off, let's have a cuppa, have a chat, what's on for the rest of your day, you know. And if they want to leave, it's their choice. Um, but we just really encourage them to be mindful of what's happened. It's not something we sort of punch the air about, apart from that we've thought, you know, he's safe for the moment. But, um, you know, often we've given Narcan to clients who haven't been breathing and they've got up and said, you know, well, that was fucking terrible and now I've just got to go and get some more heroin. So it's nothing that we punch the air about because it's, um, you know, we're, we're concerned about them here, we're concerned about them when they leave. Do they then come back around? Yeah, sometimes they do. And if they don't, you feel even worse because you think, where are they? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got great security. Um, you know, we'll often get Amri or one of the other guys to just follow someone down the street a bit who have been a bit concerned about to make sure they're okay. Um, just keep an eye on someone who's, you know, left and we're not convinced that they're all right. I had a guy come in the other day who... I don't really know him. Um, I may have seen him once or twice and he injected and had a little bit of an overdose but enough that really shook him up a bit and, um, you know, just said, I'm sick of this, I don't want to do this anymore. We ended up that day getting him into Zone 4 and um, having an appointment to commence on Bouverdell. So, um, you know, there's just those little moments like that that are really satisfying working in that place because, you know, you want to support all the clients who aren't interested in Bouverdale. We're there to support them. And and then those, if there's any opportunities for anybody who's who wants to have any sort of treatment, there's, there's that available for them too. Mm. To have overdoses and incidents inside the centre is a good day. Because that means clients actually using the service and the service is doing what it's supposed to. For me, yeah, as a working more, I think a good day is when shit goes down at the MSA. Kangaroo Island, I was quite, uh, how do I say it, like, 
uh, cottoned to what the world was really like, you know? Yeah, until I moved to Melbourne and, and being a young teenager, I think, you know, you want to fit in with a lot of other people, you know, and um, that's when my life started to experiment. First off, it was just marijuana. By the time I was 16, I was pregnant. The fellow I was seeing at the time, he was a heroin user and... I started just smoking heroin through on top of the marijuana cones. They call it snow cones. And by the time I was 19, 20, um, wasn't doing anything, so I started injecting. So, yeah, yeah. How old are you now? I am 37 now. Yes, Don't look it. Oh, really? <laughs> I, I have to say that I did dye my hair two, three nights ago. I've got that many grey hairs. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> That was Tina, a long-term MSER client. And my conversation with Tina about her connection with this place is in our next episode. You'll also meet Adrian, a tradie who keeps his heroin use a secret from his family. And then the MSER staff take us into Zone 3, aftercare. And trust me, there is much more at stake there than just the cups of tea and coffee that are on offer. By the way, I also want to reassure you about something. The person you heard injecting in close-up earlier did so without incident. You would also have heard the sound of someone else being revived from an overdose with the use of a bag valve mask. That was recorded on the same day, a Sunday in June of 2022. And it was one of two serious overdoses at the EMSO that day, both of which were managed successfully. Nobody Dies Here was recorded on Wurundjeri land and made independently on Turrbal Yuggera land by me, Michelle Ransom-Hughes. Specialist recording for this episode was with the help of John Chia. Thanks, John. All music credits are on the website. Now, my sincere thanks go to the people whose voices you heard in this episode. The nurses, Paul, Kerry and Jen, HRPs, Tess and Jesse, as well as Dr Nico. Big thanks to Simon, Fiona and all the MSO staff working hard in the background. Thanks also to Shelley Cogger, to Donna, Lisa, Dylan and James. To the people using the MSO when we recorded, thank you for having me in your space. This series is for you and for the people we lost. There's much more to the MSER than the injecting zone, including pharmacotherapy treatments like buprenorphine and all kinds of supports that people who come here might never otherwise receive. We'll dig into all of this in the rest of this series. So please keep listening and share Nobody Dies Here with someone who you think would appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening.